Ever since working and, and, and starting to one's eyes saw the, you see, once you kind of see the matrix, every time you open a menu, every time you're walking down an aisle in a grocery store, every time you're in like a pharmacy, every time you're about to literally put something in or on you, everything has an impact and you have agency over how that's going to impact your microbiome. Welcome to the Our Nature podcast with me, Alyssa Benjamin. Our Nature explores the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world. The opportunity to live a more joyful and harmonious existence is available to each of us right in this very moment. So join me, and let's rediscover what comes naturally. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 18 of the Our Nature podcast. If you're new to Our Nature, my name is Alyssa Benjamin. I'm a writer, a brand strategist, and host of this podcast where we explore the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world. We've just about wrapped season one, and I'm so thrilled that so many of you have been listening and learning as together we uncover new ways to connect and reconnect with nature, and in doing so, discover parts of ourselves that help us live healthier, happier, and hopefully more meaningful lives. Now that we've officially entered the holiday season, I've been thinking a lot about consumption, more specifically my own. I come from a family that found safety, security, and identity in physical possessions. My dad grew up in a financially unstable household, so surrounding himself with things has given him material reminders of his success and his worthiness as a human being. With him as a model, I spent many years also craving things whenever I questioned my value, when I associated who I was with what I owned, or when I thought having this or that would make me happier. As I settled into my authenticity, which has also correlated with forming deeper, more meaningful connections to the natural world, I've noticed that my desire to consume and acquire things has diminished. The craving to own and constantly get more so I could feel like more, has lessened its grip. This approach is counterculture in a capitalist society where our economy is dependent on consumption and our worth is determined by our material wealth. In A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, he says, the unchecked striving for more, for endless growth, is a dysfunction and a disease. Ego identification with things creates attachment to things, obsession with things, which in turn creates our consumer society and economic structures where the only measure of progress is always more. All that is required to become free of the ego is to be aware of it, since awareness and the ego are incompatible. If we could each operate from this state of presence, we'd realize that our beingness, who we really are, is not the sum total of our purchases. I welcome you to join me this holiday season and simply pause before purchasing. Take a breath and bring some presence to the moment before you decide to buy. Doing so may give you more clarity about your intention and how that intention really feels. Though it might seem strange to transition from a message about consumption to talking about a brand, This is the holiday season after all, and most of us will be making choices about what to buy. In the skincare industry, which is full of toxicity and artificial ingredients, 
Linnea Botanicals is a clean skincare brand based on the natural needs of our skin and was created with people and planet in mind. This is the brand that I support after careful consideration and personal experience with the products. I interviewed Jenna Levine, the creator of Lene, about clean skincare on episode 14 of the podcast. And after that episode aired, many of you reached out wanting to try her products. For this reason, I am so happy to offer 15% off with the code OURNATURE. In the intro of that episode, I talk about how her products truly change my skin. I have combination skin, which means my cheeks are very dry, but my T-zone is very oily. And her Purify Cleanser and Renew Serum evened out my skin tone and shrank the appearance of my pores. I was using a different, equally clean and wonderful skincare brand for many years before trying Lene. And to be honest, Lene worked so much better. I'm such a fan that I put her products on my own Christmas list this year. This isn't sponsored, by the way. I simply wanted to offer something special to you in case you wanted to try Lene. I know that people have different types of skin than my own, but my top three recommendations if you want to try Lene are the Purify Cleanser, the Renew Serum, and the Refresh Spray. Another consideration for the holiday season, other than what we put on our bodies, is what we put in our bodies. Therefore, I thought it was timely to have Ara Katz, the co-founder of Seed, on the show to talk about the microbiome. Seed is a life science and consumer health company focused on the microbiome and its undeniable potential in shaping the future of human and planetary health. Being someone who has studied digestion through Ayurveda, I thought I already knew a lot about the microbiome and our gut bacteria, But Ara brings a wealth of fascinating and lesser-known information to this episode in a way that is easy to understand and assimilate. Seed empowers their customers to learn about gut health and then make informed decisions, which is in alignment with the way I approach this podcast. Wait until you hear this episode. You'll be so much more thoughtful about your daily practices after listening. In this episode, we talk about what the microbiome is and what it does for us, how the microbiome has shifted as we've evolved, as Era called it, the climate change of our insides, why big pharma and science are very different, and why this distinction is so important, the multiple microbiomes that live in areas other than our gut, why not all probiotics are the same, the myths and misunderstandings about probiotics and what's actually true, what you can do to increase your microbial diversity. The answer isn't just take probiotics, how to know if the probiotics you are taking are working, and so much more. This episode is a bit longer than my other episodes, but it is incredibly informative. I also encourage you to listen all the way to the end because I will share a discount to try seed just for our nature listeners. Again, this isn't sponsored. If and when I do pursue sponsorship, I'll be incredibly transparent about what and why I do so. This discount is because my entire goal for this podcast is to encourage you to try new methods, practices, and sometimes things that might help you feel better physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So if you feel compelled to try seed, I simply want to support you in that journey. By now, I suspect your interest is piqued, and I want to get right into the episode. 
I recorded this with Ara at Seed headquarters in Venice, California, which means there is some more background noise than usual in this episode. Let's not wait any further. Welcome to my episode all about the microbiome with Ara Katz. So hi, Ara. Welcome to Our Nature. I'm really excited to talk to you because we are going to be talking about a subject that I am personally passionate about, which is the microbiome. I study Ayurveda, and in Ayurveda, digestion is the key indicator of health. It is the, it is health. Um, so strong digestion equals a strong individual. Weak digestion equals a weak individual. It's something that Ayurveda has been talking about for 4,000-plus years. And of late, the microbiome has become a topic that many scientists health professionals, and the public are more and more interested in. Why do you think this is the time that there's a renewed interest in the microbiome? I mean, I think, you know, probably not dissimilar to so many things of that kind of come into the zeitgeist and then kind of shift our perspective about things. I think, you know, the the microbiome is so interesting and, and it's awesome that you kind of brought up Ayurvedic medicine and kind of more Eastern practices because I have a personal philosophy about what I think, you know, and, and a hypothesis for why I think the microbiome and, and maybe the euphemism of gut health has kind of permeated so many areas of our lives um, today. And I think we'll kind of continue to, but, you know, the first is from a pure scientific perspective. When we sequence, when we sequence the human genome, we have finally had the technology to be able to really understand um, bacteria at a genetic level, um, and to really understand like what was actually inside, um, and not just inside. Obviously, there's m- multiple kind of biomes of the body. Um, so, of course, now we're starting to understand like the vaginal microbiome and its role in all kinds of health and disease, and its role in fertility, and certainly how then we can kind of like, harness that to think about like the future of women's health. Of course, for gut. You mentioned digestion, but of course we know the gut is connected to many other organ systems and uh, conditions, and um, we can kind of get into that. Um, and so I think you know the it was really that that technological advance that in science kind of opened up microbiome science, and and you know it's really interesting because the microbiome can be studied by so many different disciplines um, and areas of science, both in the um, environmental space and and certainly our earth and and kind of biology, uh, but also in terms of physiology and pretty much like between diseases and you know, the, 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 the ways that our even bodies work and like understanding like our basic physiology, like it, that it is fundamentally shifting the way we like understand our bodies. And so the, the, the microbes that are within and on us, that's totally changing. And then now we're starting to understand, well, how could we use microbes to also impact us? And so in, in like, if you think about Ayurvedic, that's really about saying like, well, what is already in there is a reflection, um, you know, of what, or they weren't necessarily talking about bacteria, but certainly like the gut, right, digestion, particularly with the the different doshas, right? Um, And so, you know, I think it's fascinating because, you know, when you start to look at, like, there was the scientific and technological advancements, and that kind of blew open the field, and the field itself is can touch every single field of science, because there's usually some microbial implication, either in the understanding of the microbes or how you're going to use microbes to solve some problem, or better understand something in the world. And then, you know, there's the, the kind of, like, health and wellness 
black box <laughs> that I think everybody's trying to solve for, where we're obsessed with wellness, we're spending you know over four trillion dollars on it, but yet we've never been sicker as a species. So you have the like the rise of autoimmune diseases, the rise of allergies, the rise of type two diabetes, you know non communicable diseases. So you know you can go back in time, for example, when like thousands of years, particularly advent of like Eastern medicine, you know at that time like many times throughout humanity, like we were dying of pandemics and communicable diseases that, that m most of those um, disciplines weren't solving for. Uh, and so, um, and, and weren't not necessarily meant to, but it was, it was a time when like you could, you would die because something was contagious. Yeah. Um, and or sewage. Yeah, of course. So, you know, viruses, etc. So, like what was what's interesting is that in the health and wellness black box uh, that everybody's kind of trying to solve for and certainly spending like way much larger, you know, part, portions of their income today than they ever were before, but yet it's not making us necessarily, quote unquote, healthier. Um, I think that the microbiome is starting to offer like a lens and a new way of like fundamentally understanding these things, right? Like you can't like cleanse and detox your way at like a human scale uh, out of like the rise of autoimmune disease. So like <laughs> that's probably not going to be the answer. And so I think as we're starting to understand the role, you know, and, and what's also interesting, there's so many areas of science and medicine where, you know, you, in a, a discovery, like if you take genomics, for example, I always say like, you know, we sequence the human genome. It's not like you go to Whole Foods and buy anything, but like, there are many things that are coming out of microbiome science or the application of microbes or understanding like probiotics, which is like the application of a microbe to have a benefit in a human body. And like these things are almost immediately actionable. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that there's something that really is particularly what we learn about nutrition, science and disease, the role of um, the microbiome with different like medications and, and areas um, that we can actually like immediately make that impact, which is actually in some ways delivers us a lot of agency and so I think that between what it's revealing um, and how it then feels more actionable, and, and I think there's, I've, I've started to come around to really understanding something that I really didn't when we started our journey with SEED, is that sometimes understanding and knowing is an intervention on itself. And you realize, particularly people who are so hopeless um, in certain diseases and conditions, like just understanding and knowing can be like the inception for healing, which I, th I find to be really interesting. I think the microbiome offers. And so you take the technological and the science, you take the health and wellness and people who are kind of searching already or who are already generally healthy, but believe that there's ways of optimization of health through the, through the, the, the gut. Um, and then you have the, the beautiful Venn diagram of East and West, which is um, all of these methodologies and people who already ascribe to Eastern methodology is saying like, oh yeah, well, we already knew. <laughs> you guys are telling us, but we already knew. And then, the, you know, of course, science and medicine on the other side is saying, yeah, but you didn't know what, and you didn't really know all of it, and you didn't know with any specificity. And so I think it's really interesting because it really mirrors and confirms, I think, what a lot of people who already felt that Eastern medicine had a better framework or access point for them into their bodies or health offered. But then it also offers another layer and deeper um, uh, opportunities for actionability. And so I think in a lot of ways, I, I always say it's kind of like in the Venn diagram of East and West, it kind of sits in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think... I mean, everything you said, I can personally resonate with, and a lot of the Our Nature listeners are familiar with my own health journey, which has involved a lot of personal exploration, and the most empowering and healing part of it has been when I realized that I didn't need to 
look or sort of give my health away to other people that I had an ability to listen from within and intuitively kind of know what is right for me. And this is not to say like I'm self-diagnosing, but it is to say that we have a lot more agency than we give ourselves credit for. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. For I like to start with the most basic questions because I don't like to assume that anyone knows. What does our microbiome do for us? And what is it? Is it considered yeah, start a system with, of bacteria? Yeah, no, I'm really glad. I'm really glad you you brought that up. I, we, we love starting with definitions. Like we, we take the translation of science very seriously if anyone's looked at our Instagram. Um, so, so defining terms is super important. So there's first the microbiome, which is at least technically it's the collection of genes, but for the sake of just talking about it in a, in a more simple and, and accessible way, it is the community of bacteria that live within and on us. It's about 38 trillion microorganisms, it's about 50-50 with us from a human cell count perspective. There are a lot of numbers like the 90 to 1 that get get 90 to 10 that get have gotten thrown out over yeah, the like years. Yeah, like 90% um, bacteria. But it's, uh, but it's not, it's it's actually not, accurate. No, <laughs> not actually accurate. We, we work from like one of the most recent Weissman um, studies that put it at about, about 50%, 38 trillion microorganisms. Um, now, when you look at the genes they express, that's where the number is much higher. But that, again, that number gets hyperbolized because just because bacteria express more genes doesn't mean that they're those. it's more important expressions. And so it's a little, that gets very like hyped also as a, as a stat represents about three to five pounds of your body. Um, so it's, it's the reason that it's called kind of the, lo- they, it's been referred to as the lost organ, or you hear sometimes the second brain, um, which uh, people use in referring to gut-brain access, but uh, but also as, as kind of the, this idea that um, just because it's not a, a large mass the way like your kidney is, um, it still constitutes quite a good amount of your body and enough that, that, it, sh- that it weighs a lot, so... And what does it do for us? Yeah, it's, well, it's, I mean, it's and the other part before I'll, I'll say something to bridge to what it does because um, one of the things that's so fascinating about the microbiome is that there are multiple ecosystems of our body. So usually when people refer to the microbiome or gut health, they're referring to the majority of microbes that live in our gut, which is kind of like, like our colon. Also, we have an entire ecosystem that lives, if you're a woman, that lives in your in, in, your, in the vagina um, that's called the vaginal microbiome. It, it's characterized by totally different um, markers for health than, for example, your gut is. So that's really interesting because it really is like a whole other ecosystem that has an entirely different rule set <laughs> for how that um, ecosystem maintains health. You have your oral microbiome, which is inc- incredibly important and is going to become, I think, like the next landscape for how we're going to understand like very specific diseases and health states and preventive and markers for whether or not certain diseases will develop, which, of course, in, in Ayurvedic and other Eastern modalities, modalities, that is also something that was believed. Um, uh, and, but, but, of course, even like um, I think now like understanding even the role of like the oral microbiome and um, specific cancers that may develop neurodegenerative disease, which I think is really fascinating. So when you really think, so when you think about agency and you start thinking about these parts of our bodies that, you know, you kind of just think about like, oh, brushing your teeth or, you know, how, how you maintain these ecosystems, you know, some of them we don't have as much control over. They just discovered like there's a, there's an optical <laughs> a microbiome, right? So like with your eye, probably not something we have a tremendous amount of agency over today. Um, even the skin is not something that uh, is something that we're kind of 
starting to figure out. But again, it has its own ecosystem. Um, and then the gut, of course, and, and for women, the vaginal microbiome being some of the most important ones. And, and, and a lot of controversy over whether or not and, and how early in, in a fetus's development, like they, they're first seeded with microbes because we know the mother load kind of comes at birth. But um, there's some, some uh, research that suggests that possibly there's even some microbes that, um, are, that we're exposed to even before birth. So it's a fascinating uh, ecosystem. And the only reason I wanted to make the distinction is because when you say, what does it do? Each ecosystem does something a little bit different. Um, and so, for example, like the, the maintaining homeostasis of the vaginal microbiome is incredibly important so that, you know, you're not susceptible to specific STIs, um, STDs. Um, it impacts fertility, for example. You know, the, just the acidity alone of, of the vagina can be the difference between sh- sperm being shuttled or not being shuttled. Um, and so it's very, you know, it's, it's so, so there's specific roles of specific bacteria um, in each microbiome that kind of maintains um, what we would call homeostasis or, you know, stability of, of, of each of those ecosystems. And then in the gut, it's fascinating because, you know, they're really responsible. I mean, there's, there's vitamins that we can't synthesize without bacteria. Um, they take specific compounds from our food and then biotransform them into metabolites that are absolutely critical for our health. Um, they're a really important part of maintaining like the gut barrier integrity. So like the in- integrity and the, the tight junctions of our epithelial wall, which if you think about our entire body, like is sep- we have two holes. We have one track that goes from one hole to another and that track never touches our bodies, right? So it's, it's ideally, ideally, but it, when it's integral, when, when it's integrous, it's really important in maintaining, um, our health. But when it's porous, um, i.e. with things like leaky gut and other things that kind of cause permeability, it's, it can be really dangerous and cause, you know, of course your body starts to mount an inflammatory response. And that's one of the things that, you know, particularly when you talk about autoimmune conditions and other, other conditions related to, um, that kind of permeability of that wall. And if you think about that wall is only one hair, like one cell thick. So it's like literally one human hair. Um, and so, you know, the, the role of bacteria is incredibly, incredibly important in the maintenance of that integrity. And then of course, um, they play a major role. Now we're starting to understand in like food allergy, um, you know, the, the body's immune responses in general, the, the beginning of your immune system is started when you first get seeded, uh, by microbes, but, you know, primarily at birth, as I mentioned. Um, and, uh, and then of course we start to understand them, you know, across really almost all aspects of the body and all microbiomes. I mean, if you if you think about their like common denominator uh, role, unlike what we've thought about bacteria probably up till now, is that their job is kind of to maintain stasis, right? Like they 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 do many things to in exchange for a warm place to live and nutrients. They do a lot of things that our bodies can't do by themselves. Do they all talk to each other? These systems. <laughs> um, to, 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 I mean, they're starting. I think people are start. There's certainly some science that's starting to like understand the role of, like, for example, the gut brain. Um, there's something called translocation too, where like you know microbes from the oral microbiome will make their way, and, and so I think we're starting to understand the relationship between um, different microbi different ecosystems. 
do they all talk to each other? No, they, I wouldn't say they all talk to each other. <laughs> talk to each other. Although in nature, um, you know, in nature, microbes can can kind of communicate up to very large distances. So I, I imagine that there's a, a tremendous amount of crosstalk, and certainly there's a lot of science to suggest in different different ecosystems, and um, particularly like, not, I wouldn't just say actually it's them talking to each other. I think what's really and talking may not even be the right the right um, term, but. Um, interacting is probably more interesting because even like some of the most interesting things that happen with with the administration of microbes is their interaction with the human host um and so i think that's like a really important it's not just like microbes and microbes but it's actually how microbes interact with the human body which is really important and also really important when we talk about pro for example if you take a probiotic you know so much of a probiotic is not necessarily micro that those microbes interacting with your microbes but many things that those microbes can do um in relation to like your human in your in in terms of like as an example um with with digestion and motility um you know like increasing like from a neurotransmitter perspective like neurotransmitters are really responsible for motility um and so like that's a good example where it's not like microbe microbe necessarily but also microbe human host wow yeah it's a whole world i feel it's a whole world it's a whole world <laughs> i love that you brought up the natural world because mm -hmm. this podcast is about the fact that yes we are humans but we are part of nature we are animals that mm -hmm. exist within the natural world and something that i was wondering was i was thinking about this idea that back many many centuries ago we used to forage for food and we used to live a lot closer to the land and to the dirt and to the elements and to you know our, the water and mm -hmm. um, we used to drink from streams for example how has the microbiome shifted as we've evolved? Is it's, there studies about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, and and there's a lot of people who kind of go in um, one of the ways that that's kind of been studied. And actually, Gloria Dominguez Bello, who's one of our advisors, um, there's a film that's going to come out probably next year that they've kind of followed her because she's done a lot of work, for example, with the Hadza tribe. And there's a lot of people who really go to some of these like really indigenous. Um, as untouched as possible tribes because they, they there was the belief that they represented, um, you know, kind of maybe how our microbiome used to be when people were eating, you know, 100 plus grams of fiber a day, um, you know, I mean, because that is a, makes a huge impact, I mean, on, on, our, on the constitution of our microbiome. What we have learned, um, and, and it's kind of interesting, is that, yes, yeah, so our microbes kind of co-evolve with us um, which I think is really an important way to think about it. So if you think about that microbes have like a maternal lineage, meaning that they like first come from your mother and then you, again, and, and then so on and so on, they, they've they co-evolved over time, which means that they've adapted to um, our worlds the same way that we have, the, that our physiology has. And you can see that like in in understanding like how are the, I mean, in the same way that we look and it's really important to look at the analogies with the natural world because in the same ways that we've seen the extinction of specific species in our natural environment um, of animals, for example, for example, you see that same extinction that has happened in our microbiome. Of course, not visible the same way. It's you know, it's easy to say, oh, this specific bird is now extinct, but you know, this, this invisible world is pretty important, pretty important too. And there are many microbes that are now extinct from the human microbiome. And so we kind of, I, we always dub it kind of like the climate change of our insides. But it fundamentally is what has happened as we've moved into the built environment. We've moved away from that exposure. We've built incredibly sterile. 
um, ways of living um, and not just sterile in the structures themselves, but of course our obsession with kind of getting rid of bacteria. Um, Antibacterial Yeah, has led led to kind of like obviously the overuse of antibiotics, which now has its whole own problem with antibiotic resistance. Um, But over time, that overuse of antibiotics, particularly, you know, and again, if you think about overuse of antibiotics, you don't have microbes, you have a child, you pass on what you have. And so you can just imagine like over time that just like diminishment and diminishment is now being correlated with the rise of autoimmune diseases and allergies. Because, you know, what what we're not doing is training our immune systems now early in life the way we used to. Um, The reason it's so important to roll around in dirt is not just like... It, it sounds cool, I think a lot of people say it, but I think you don't always like, think about the underlying like biology and reason for it. And it truly is, like, if you can't expose something early and say, hey, take a little of this, take a little, how do you, you know, to- tolerate it and, and introduce it as friend and not foe, you know, later in life, if there's a, an exposure to something, your immune system doesn't know how to, doesn't know how to respond to something. And so, right, so um, yeah, and so it's, it's, I think that that limited exposure combined with, and then you decrease the amount of fiber that's been in our diets, you increase the amount of chemicals and preservatives and all these things that we now know um, are really, really damaging. I mean, even just things like ibuprofen, like NSAIDs, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, I think people say, oh, I don't take antibiotics anymore, but like they still pop Advil every day. Um, and th- these, now we know, I mean, sugar replacement, I mean, we can go down the line of all the things we now know kind of like really inf- impacted our microbiome and when you think about the fact that they co-evolve with us plus they get passed on um you you just can see from generation to generation as as we've gone through these massive um overhauls of our diet um in that not in, <laughs> in good ways and the rise of fast food and the way we we grow food and the way we you know distribute it now and the way we eat um you just kind of look at all the and of course the decrease of breastfeeding also um you really start to kind of put um, paint a picture of all of these kind of things that really impacted that that the de- the the decrease of that diversity, um, and therefore the increase of all of these now diseases and conditions that are associated with that lack of diversity. It makes a lot of sense. It it makes me think of like my own. I mean, you can't help but think of your own mother and like be like, well, I mean, my mother. I know like, she has had digestive issues was a big antibiotic fan, um, pumped me and my brother with antibiotics. And interestingly enough, we both have some pretty severe digestive issues. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. Um, what is also interesting is when I was a kid, they used to joke about how I would go and I would try and like eat dirt. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that was like also this natural instinct <laughs> to like feed my microbiome. I'd like to think so because now I study Ayurveda and I'm like, the complete black sheep of the family. Like they think I'm so bizarre, but, um, I have this like natural tendency to want to eat dirt. Yeah, maybe. I, don't I mean, know. it's, I mean, look, Mike, we now know that microbes are really a big part of controlling your appetite and what you crave, which I think is really interesting too. Um, that was a great study that came out a couple of years ago about that. And so there, yeah, I mean, there it's, it's, I mean, if you think about it, that they, they're, it's a, it's a, you, you, you're, we're feeding them so that they can do their job. Um, and so it's it's kind of natural that they and, and and they're a big part of how we experience satiety, um, and when we know that we're satiated, which is also interesting. It seems like it's the center of everything. <laughs> what was in the and you mentioned this a little bit, but I'd love for you to touch on it more directly. Mm-hmm. In the past, when we didn't have probiotics, for example. Mm-hmm. And maybe we didn't need them. That's probably why. But what was the way that we supported our microbiomes? 
I mean, we were just, we just ate some, I mean, you can kind of go through all the things I just mentioned, which is that we were really much more in proximity. I mean, we were not living in built environments. We were in much more proximity to nature. Um, we were eating probably four to 10 times the amount of fiber that we're eating today, which is like a really important distinction and an incredibly important point to like hammer home. Um, if, I would also say that our food supply was not laden with most of the things that it currently is. And of course, we the advent of medication, while don't get me wrong, antibiotics will save your life if taken at the right moment <laughs> um, and should be taken <laughs> if you need them. Um, the overuse or the prophylactic use is kind of what has, of course, made a big difference. And then, of course, breastfeeding, I would say. I think, you know, and again, not I, it's a very controversial topic, but... Um, it, it is it is a crucial part of that development of, of the um, human digestive and immune system because it's the fertilizer um, for those microbes to develop that ecosystem um, and then just in general just an exposure just the, the microbes that we were that you know the the what some of these issues and of course like cleaning products I mean I could kind of you can kind yeah, of yeah, just yeah. think about all the things that are we can associate with modern life that have like major anti some some intuitive like um, like the things we're talking about, but even even alcohol. I mean, even um, even like the way that we you know drink alcohol today is different than the way <laughs> that we drink because you know we're drinking it with like all kinds of sugar and I mean it's 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 and even dairy. I mean, like all, all the, we've kind of taken even a lot of the groups of, of the way things were eaten at those times, and then of course added our modern supersize me, put sugar on, add this, add that mentality to it and of course you can imagine that we've, we were also never eating and consuming the amounts that, of, of some of these things that we, are, we, we do today I think that's really helpful though for people because though they might seem obvious mm -hmm. I don't know if people are thinking about these decisions in relationship to their microbiome especially yeah. if it's a new concept yes um, I always I mean the way I think about it I always say I mean um, not sure if the majority of your audience are men or, or women. Um, it's mixed, mixed. yeah, <laughs> um, or or gender nonconforming, yeah, or, or any, no gen any gender. -gendered. But biologically, um, I always say that for men, like the microbiome, if you can really shift your mindset and you can kind of come see the matrix with us it's the closest like a guy can ever feel to being pregnant. And I only say that because like I always urge people to think like it's kind of what I can only relate it to when I was pregnant. It's like when, when I had this other life inside of me, like you feel this incredible stewardship to make decisions. So every time you make a decision through that nine month period, it's like every decision was like, is this good for this other human? Um, and, and, or will it benefit and, and, or optimize this human, not just, is it bad for it or good for it? And so I always say that, like, microbes, it's kind of, I mean, you imagine, like, you have three to five pounds. I mean, there's things that you know that you kind of, like, you, you kind of know you eat for good digestive health. You kind of know you're eating for, like, heart health, particularly if you have, like, um, if you have a, uh, have high, high cholesterol or know that you're, you're genetically prone to it. So, like, you already kind of have this idea, like, oh, like, this is good for bones or, like, for a woman. Like, so I think we already kind of have some, some sense of that with different organ systems, just the way that we've kind of been socialized and grew up, even if it's, like, the most crude biology in some, in some cases, even if it's totally wrong, like how we grew up thinking about cholesterol and fat, for example. Um, but... I think the microbiome is so cool because if you literally are like ever since working and, and, and starting to one's eyes saw them, you see, once you kind of see the matrix, every time you open a menu, every time you're walking down an aisle in a grocery store, every time you're in like a pharmacy, every time you're about to literally put something in or on you. And by the way, this, this is before sex even. I mean, everything has an impact 
um, and you have agency over how that's going to impact your microbiome. So, um, I mean, not with everything, obviously, like menstruation, for example, is incredibly disruptive to the vaginal microbiome. It's the most um, susceptible to infection right after menstruation. So that's not something necessarily you want to control, but it's something to be kind of cognizant in. Sex, um, at least heterosexual sex, is also, again, also incredibly disruptive to vaginal microbiome. And so, and, and you can imagine why, right? It wasn't something that it was, there was a biological reason we were doing it. Um, and so, when I think I'm always trying to like impress on people, like how you can these, how it's almost like, it's like Jerry Maguire, like help me help you, like help them help you. Like every, like if you think whenever I eat, um, like polyphenols, like, like, like berries or, um, or like green tea, uh, certain like certain nuts, like walnuts or, um, fiber. I'm literally like, I, I'm so crazy now. Cause like I've been in this for so long. Like I literally am thinking like I'm feeding them. <laughs> it's probably it's working. Literally, the and mind it's, inc- is so and it's, it's, inc- it's an incredible, well, it's probably also just physiologically how it works. And it's, it's, inc- it's incredible when you get to that mindset shift. One of the coolest things in, um, from you know more like maybe Eastern modalities or certainly more spiritual modalities, one of the things like I've seen, particularly for people who study like even intuitive eating, and it's like if you can really change. Like some people are really bad at taking care of themselves, but sometimes you can just at least use it. Not that I'm a spiritual fan of otherization, um, and I do think it actually is of us, kind of like how you said we are of the environment. <clears throat> so in some sense, I'm more of a oneness. But if it helps you from a caretaking perspective and to make better decisions every day, the most mind-blowing thing you can do is be like, it's not even for me. <laughs> it's literally for them so that I can, they can do what they need to do so that I can do what I need to do. And I think there's like a really, there's something in there that I think everybody has like a different way into, but at least I can speak for myself or like when I feed my son, it's such an interesting mindset. Um, it's so different than when you're thinking like, oh, this is going to hurt my stomach from like, like digest it well. It's like different than being like, I'm not going to eat dairy. Not, calories, yeah. But it's like when you start to think about like, what does, what does this three to five pounds in my body like need and what, 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 or, and, or what could I be doing to help them more? And, or if I'm about to do this X, like I've, I'm about to, oh, I'm, I'm about to get cramps for my uh, I'm, I'm getting my period and I have cramps. So like, I know if I take some Advil, like prophylactically, well, maybe that's the right answer, but at least go into it knowing that maybe there's some other, there's, it, it's impacting a whole other community and then kind of, um, giving yourself the opportunity for that cost benefit, <laughs> cost benefit analysis. Yeah. That's, I want to talk more about, you know, in, in thinking about, you mentioned your son mm-hmm. and being pregnant, uh, you are the co-founder mm-hmm. of a probiotic company. That's why we're talking. Yes. And I know that the story about why you mm-hmm. felt compelled to start this company is a personal one for you. Can yes. you share that story? Oh, sure. Yeah. It, it's interesting. We we don't. I mean, we we are a micro. We are a microbial sciences company, and we we just, one of the things we do do is develop probiotics. But I think one of the reasons that we more consider ourselves microbial sciences is, I mean, outside of the fact that. We also develop drugs, and um, we look at environmental um, areas where microbes can impact some big environmental issues too. So, for like example, we have a probiotic for honeybees, um, and uh, and on the drug side, we have a you know a probiotic that will be regulated as a drug for urinary tract infection, as an example. Um, and so, one of the reasons, and I only say those those two examples because part of my story was very much you know I think I had built a, a number of businesses and 
told a lot of big stories in media and 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 really learned that like once you could make cha- make people like build communities and enact change and get people to do things like on the interweb uh you know you start to think about like well if i if i know how to do these things i know how to build brands i know how to get large amounts of people to take a specific action um and you start to realize too that um it, you know what are you going to use it all for like what are you going to do it for like you know e-commerce like who cares people buying like it's not just more it's, things. yeah it's not just more things also what was so ironic which maybe some this resonates with some of your audiences you know i think you sometimes like begin journeys and careers like doing things and you're just like how did i how did this turn into a i'm not even the customer i don't (laughs) even buy that i don't even know how i got here this isn't what i want to be doing i don't even buy things from the things that we're creating to buy things like it's not even yet so i think i had a miscarriage actually um when i was building a mobile commerce company that was really successful at the time and I was the only female co-founder um, in a in a in a male um, and with other male co-founders, and I think in tech especially, I kind of you kind of feel like you're letting all women in tech down. But I I resigned the night of my miscarriage, and um, I think it was just a really good inflection point for me in my journey of of just like what what life was going to be viable for me, and certainly the life that I was growing was not viable. But I, it was a it was a good moment for me to make a big decision. And um, and I think from there I just took some time. I got pregnant actually very shortly after that, and I spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted to, where I, what I wanted to do. And I had always loved biology and physiology, and I'd always I somehow became the person that like everyone would text and be like, "What do you think of this?" And like for like for health stuff. And I was like, I thought that was very odd because I had absolutely no business giving anybody health advice. Um, but I was always a big researcher, and I always was a big nerd, and I always like knew how to like ask the person that I thought would know, and then kind of could synthesize and at least for myself decide um, what I felt was worth at least an experimentation. Not I don't I, sometimes I'm very wary to say answer or solution. Um, and so I think I, but I had really watched the rise of wellness, and I actually really felt that. I was really, I'm very happy that the world has a, of kind of a renewed consciousness around like self-care. And I'm glad that we have that like lexicon now. Um, and I'm glad that like, that is a big part of like, it's a part of our lives now in a way that's almost like table stakes, whereas it kind of used to be so reactive and responsive to just pathology. But at the same time, I've watched a business and an industry arise around it that I felt was really misleading um and i think actually created a, a way a, a created a way that we're actually learning about our bodies um through marketing campaigns and through through products that claim to do something and i'm not sure that that serves us and i think i always felt like i knew i wanted to do something in health um and i i also knew i didn't want to add to that noise or contribute to that noise at the same time and i also wanted to be create an opportunity where like we could really bring humans and science closer together because after watching and particularly not just watching the rise of health and wellness but right watching the rise of like how climate change i mean science has just become an opinion which is crazy to me and and for you know for everyone who who says oh big pharma western medicine like i i understand the 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 frameworks in within which science is created to serve specific business practices and I certainly can't say that like I think every like that pharma is like some pure but 
but I think we it's a very easy otherization to make and um, and pharma is not science <laughs> like they're not synonymous and I think they have become and I think that's the same thing that like anyone who denies climate change has been able to kind of start to like say well they have an agenda and therefore that's not true right and so I think I watched that and I'm not certain not certainly not all science is true <laughs> and this, at, at the same time I think that the scientific method and the methodology for understanding is very 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 valid and I think um, and I think I saw that there was an opportunity with everybody kind of um, almost like swarming like bees to like oh this new diet and this new diet and this new product and this new fad and this and like and just the cleanses and the and I just and I felt that it was just um, I'm not sure if it was like the the way that we were going to get healthier, and I'm not sure that any of the science says we're getting healthier. So um, the microbiome had always intellectually interested me, and when I, I met my co-founder when I was pregnant, and we spent a lot of time getting to know each other, and I think we both felt, both for different reasons, that the microbiome and probiotics and, and the world of bacteria was going to become kind of like where we wanted to focus, and that was very specifically around these early windows of development for an infant's health. And that, for me, was illuminated and kind of um, catalyzed because after four months of breastfeeding, I could only supply about a third of my son's breast milk, which, for the person that was spending a lot of time in this world, of course, is kind of like when you know too much. It's devastating, um, I'm sure. And so it was very devastating. And I think almost more devastating was like when you look for supplementation options, you know, the best thing, the best advice I could find or, or get from people, and this was doctors included, was, um, you know, honestly wealthy white women telling me to get the expensive stuff from Europe, and, you know, which which I did, but not because I necessarily thought it was going to be, like, exponentially better, or it was more inc probably incrementally better, and that might just be because of, like, their supply chain, and certainly maybe a, a bit cleaner, but for the most part, scientifically speaking, really not, really not much better than the best options here and I also thought the except from an accessibility perspective it was really um if that's the answer for me where does that leave all the other women um particularly in the U.S. that like can't afford that and so and then where does that leave their children and and you know and, and so on right and and you kind of see how that can play out across and in what we're starting to understand about the correlation between an infant's developing microbiome and how that sets like their trajectory for for health, their health life. <laughs> um, and so really that was, we set out really to reinvent infant formula and that created a whole platform that we realized we could really take these advances in, micro, in microbiome science, um, not just for infant health, but across a number of different um, conditions, particularly ones that are really pervasive and where microbes could like become a replaced primary standard of care. So for example, like urinary tract infection, as I mentioned. Um, and I think that, and, and at the same time on the consumer side, we realized that we could take the scientific rigor that we were applying on the, on the um, biotech side of our business and apply that to a category that we know is going to become increasingly important for people's lives, um, and particularly how we both care for ourselves and, and specific conditions and around skin and our mouths, um, digestive health, as you mentioned, immune health, and a number of other kind of areas that we're working on. So, Yeah, I want to get into the probiotics, mm -hmm. which I know sure. is only one facet, sure. or yeah. um, you've told me is one facet, because that is something that I think as you mentioned, is like a wonderful, you can educate yourself and then you can take an action yes. towards a healthier mm -hmm. you. So yes. for what makes seed probiotics different and what are probiotics? 
There's oh, sure. <laughs> well, it's an interesting, I mean, <laughs> probiotics, the term, and just going back to how you started the, very mindfully started earlier to say, like, we should really align on terms. So a probiotic is a microorganism that when it's a live microorganism, which is another important distinction, that when it's administered in adequate dosages, which I'll get in, I'll kind of get into qualifying, um, has an effect and has a benefit in the human host. And what that means is that it's a strain, not a species, but a strain. So a lot of um, a lot of companies don't even disclose which strain, and there's a tremendous amount of diversity within within a species. And in some cases, a strain of one species can have a negative impact, and when the strain of another impact uh, of the same species can have a totally opposite impact. So the specificity of what you're taking is pretty important, particularly if you're going to put bacteria in your body. Um, but what that definition really means, and, it, and the, the definition was actually authored by a panel for the UN and WHO in 2001, that our chief scientist of our consumer innovations um, division, Dr. Gregor Reed out of Canada, um, authored and chaired the panel for. And we've since actually wrote a, wrote a paper that was published, I think it was early, it was probably like four or five months ago now in Frontiers in Microbiology, which just says probiotics reiterating what they are and what they're not, and kind of calling for that specificity. And the reason that that specificity is important, and I, it's important to note too that in parts of Europe, for example, you can't use the term unless it adheres to that um, definition. But of course here, and one of the reasons we started to see it again in the, in the counter-programming against, I think, a lot of the noise that we saw was that that term is used on literally everything. Yeah, there's probiotic Chocolate, drinks, there's chips, probiotic pillows, sheets, yeah. cleaning products, ice cream, yogurt. I mean, you you name it. Um, not to mention, of course, supplements um, and uh, and a number of other products that you can that you can find that that kind of now add it just as like a marketing thing. But you're really there would be no sta- way to stabilize live bacteria in. So. So the term itself, that's, that's the definition, which means that every strain must be studied um, to be able to, to have a quantum, in our, in our minds, the gold standard being in placebo-controlled, um, double-randomized style, you know, trials, um, published in, pe- in peer-reviewed publications, um, and that's kind of the standard that we hold ourselves to. Um, there's so many loopholes that I could get into on the, la- like the labels and you know, what people do in terms of when I mentioned get back to the dosage, because we use like the, for example, the, um, the dosages that were used in the clinical trials, um, which is incredibly important because you want to make sure that if you're going to re- be representing that a strain of bacteria has an impact, you can't just then put like a hundredth of the amount that was used to be able to show that impact. But that is something that does happen a lot. So in the they're industry. not strong enough. It's it, more, that, yeah. I would say it doesn't. It doesn't have the. Well, I, I, would, I don't know if it's strong enough. As I would say, it's not using the dosage that was studied in the human body to have that effect, and therefore to claim that effect without um, adhering to the same conditions of uh, biofermentation uh, and dosage is misleading. In Ayurveda, again, I only talk about that because that's the frame that I'm able to understand a lot of things. Um, every body is different mm-hmm. and your body is always changing. Yes. I mean, I think one of the biggest messages that I feel compelled to deliver to people mm-hmm. is that health is not static. Mm-hmm. It's not like you achieve health because your environment's always changing. Your mm-hmm. routines are changing. Who yes. you're with is changing your age. Your so yes, we say, um, health, <laughs> we say health is a verb yes. in, in, in micro in like ecosystems and like, um, systems biology, like there's a really beautiful, and particularly from the natural world, there's a really beautiful term called allostasis. Um, really 
I think if you look at any ecosystem, like we believe like the greatest marker for health, um, which is not an endpoint, uh, as you said, and we as I said we kind of we we say it's a verb, um, is resilience. So it's it's the idea that like in under a perturbation, under some sort of like um, antagonism, uh, what in what how soon and in what way can you return back to that place of stasis, right? And I think that's a really beautiful idea because it does accept the idea that every day you're going to undergo, I mean, you walk out of this, you're assaulted by the environment. I mean, yeah. there's so many things that, whether whether it's information that you're going to choose, like food, um, or information that's chosen for you, like what's in the environment, um, all of those things are going to impact. And, and of course, time moves forward, so age and, all, of course, many other things that change, and, and particularly in women, um, the different cycles of our life change. But ultimately, for us, like, in ecosystems, it's always, it's resilience. It's it's how does the system come back into stasis. Um, and, yeah. that, and that's a big one for us. Yeah, and given given that, that approach, yes. how would a consumer then, and you talked about the specific strains of bacteria mm-hmm. i'm just trying to conceptualize sure. like if every person is different Absolutely. and always that's a great changing, question what not are only they, different not is everybody different it's actually it's, it's actually um well first of all every everybody is different but i think that there are there are a number of things one is that every every microbiome is different so what we learned in the human genome project which is like the largest um one of the largest government-funded projects ever um, by by any government, actually, um, that was initiated under Obama. It was $143 plus million. Um, is that all that money and all that research, all we learned was that there's really not one healthy microbiome. So the, the composition of the microbiome wildly varies like our genome, person to person. What we do know is that there are markers of a healthy microbiome. One is diversity, and the other is like what they call alpha richness or the re- relative abundance. So, um, how diverse is it? Which is you can imagine if you look at a forest, you can kind of if you look at two pictures of a forest. One's more diverse; it's going to look more healthy. So, diversity um, and the abundance, right? Like how how deep and how rich is that? Um, so. Those were kind of a couple of the markers that came out of that. So we knew that it wasn't about like saying like, oh, you should, you're missing this bacteria. You should take this and replace it. So the idea of like restoring or replacing a specific microbe is totally fun. And any company that kind of starts to tell you that story, like you should, that that is definitely an, a, a misunderstanding. I thought of the that science. that's what it was. No. We were replacing no. what is gone. No. And actually, it's it's it, which is inter- which is really interesting. It's it's really the microbes don't work that way, and that's why it's incredibly important to like nail this point home. A microbe. So, and the other reason that science is important sometimes too, in exactly what you're saying, because when you demonstrate statistical significance, it means that in a heterogeneous population, people with everybody has a different microbiome, mm-hmm. and you can elicit the same response, right? So you administer. I mean, it's not dissimilar to like. Uh, and of course, it, it, there 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 are outliers for for sure, and it and it's certainly not to say, and I think anything in science would say this doesn't mean that it's going to like re- reproducibly work in every single body. But the reason that like when you do science that way, you can start to say, okay, everybody has a different microbiome. What are the things we can measure across these that you could administer a microbe and then be able to measure that they do? So, for example, we have microbes that increase. Um, butyrate production in the body, which is a it's a short chain fatty acid that your microbes kind of produce, or we have the first probiotic actually on the, um, to produce uh, folate in the body. So folate is something 
that we can, I think we can all agree, like you take your blood work and you can demonstrate like if you have healthy levels of folate, if you're a woman of reproductive age, there's level. And that's and important. Have, and that's really important. Yeah. Folate's important for everybody, but particularly if you want, particularly for women, particularly for women who are pregnant in the window before the neural tube closes um, for the baby to avoid um, spinal bifida and other complications. So the interesting thing is that there's the microbiome, which is like the composition that's like just kind of getting a crude measurement of like what's in there then there's the metabolome which is the other thing that's important which is that's what they're doing that's the function of them so what are they metabolizing what are your bacteria metabolizing and the collection of all the things that your bacteria are metabolizing end up being markers that you can actually measure so you and i could have while and probably do have different microbiomes but we can measure how much butyrate we're producing. We can measure something like urolithin A. We can measure certain specific vitamins that only bacteria can metabolize or synthesize. So the reason that's so important is because when you think about taking a microbin, it is very easy and integrative and functional in Eastern modalities. And I, I drive this point home a lot just because, of course, we have so many people who... And that's usually the communities that I think came to gut health almost like the earliest, right? And I say, that in the, in, I say this in the best way, but sometimes I feel that there's kind of an otherization sometimes, again, going the other way, which is like looking at some of the science and saying like, well, you, nothing, you know, that there's a lot of arguments for soil-based organisms and like other things that we kind of hear being kind of sold and um, uh, and kind of perpetuated in, in those worlds, like, which I think also come from this misunderstanding, which is it is not about that like, oh, you're missing something, put it back. It is that microbes studied in the human body in heterogeneous populations of people with different microbiomes can still have the same exact reproducible impact or effect. Probiotics are also misunderstood as if you're supposed to put, eat them or take them, consume them, and then they stick around and they kind of like blossom. <laughs> and then, like they, there's all these like beautiful images of like them going in and then and then of, and then it's, it's almost like a, yeah. yeah. And and actually microbes do their work on the road. Their probiotics are what they call transient microbes, which is that they move through your they they do their work as they move through your digestive tract and you pretty much poop them out. Like it's why you can wash them out. Like if you if you do a washout period of a probiotic, you know anywhere between like six to eight days, maybe sometimes a couple weeks, maybe a little bit more for specific microbes. I mean, they're gone. They're out of your system. So it's not really like, it's not, um, it's, it's a lot of the misunderstanding of them and, and being able to say, oh, well, everybody's different, which is still true, by the way. It doesn't mean that our product would work for absolutely everybody. But if you want to understand why we can claim these things, it is because they're studied with people who do have different bodies, and then they're measured against markers, not looking at what's in their microbiome, but markers that are measurable between the two, you know, between amongst sense. people. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So given that, mm -hmm. can you... I guess it seems kind of bleak to think like you can never regrow the the bacteria that is mm -hmm. lost or if your mom, mm -hmm. you know, lived a yes. free and wild lifestyle mm -hmm. and didn't care and put no, trash in I mean, her body, <laughs> you're screwed forever. No, there, there are other, there's a lot of other things that can increase your microbial diversity. I just think that it's a little bit of a misnomer that that's, that's exactly how probiotics work. It doesn't mean that they can't promote, and certainly prebiotics are a great example of where you can encourage the growth of, of good bacteria. Um, are you are prebiotics things you would take in a pill form, or are they more food-based? I mean, I, it, truthfully, I think you, I mean, you absolutely can get that from diet, um, and I think I would probably always advocate diet over, the, over pretty honestly, if anyone's listening, and you're like, should I buy seed, or should I just eat a lot of plants? <laughs> eat a lot of plants. <laughs> 
Um, that's not realistic but, though for most people. No, yeah, Even so, myself, yeah, of course. Who a lot of yeah, of course. Really I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of I'm being overly reductive just to <laughs> say that, like, how much as a company we we believe that nutrition and diet probably you know supersedes pretty much like anything else you could take, um, and. I would say from from a uh, diversity perspective, I, I mean, I, I probably you think it's like a. I don't get paid by some organization named Fiber. Like I actually believe that it's pretty one, much one of the most important things that's missing. Um, polyphenols. So that's like really really important. So just like you know what what you find in berries or pomegranate, and, um, even the skin of pomegranate, which is in which is one of the prebiotics that we use, for example, has been demonstrated to increase the production of urolithin A. So your microbes take that compound that's in the skin of the pomegranate and they biotransform it into urolithin A. Um, and so it's one of the reasons I think my pomegranates are touted, uh, you know, as such an important, um, as such an incredible kind of uh, food uh, food source. Um, having a pet like having a dog, they've shown increases microbial diversity, being in nature, not surprisingly, <laughs> it's pre preaching to the choir, um, but that that has, of course, dem been demonstrated to increase microbial diversity, and then just the things almost like you almost like opt out of, right? So overtaking NSAIDs, like I was talking about, like ibuprofen, or um, not taking antibiotics unnecessarily, um, or avoiding them, you know, whatever, um, if, there's a, if there's kind of an alternative to try first, as I said, they can save your life <laughs> under the right conditions. Um, alcohol, um, sugar, like refined sugar. There's, you know, and so I think, and, and of course preservatives and other chemicals that we now are kind of starting to understand in the food chain are pretty bad. And, and, and sugar alternatives are pretty, um, they're now understanding like the role of sucralose, for example, in, in, um, uh, in, in the microbiome is also really bad. Yeah, I was reading that I, I've read somewhere, I don't remember where, but yes. you, you seem very versed, um, that if you have a poor diet, or if you're eating a lot of sugar, it's almost like you're not feeding this, this, mm -hmm. this bacteria. So they die off because they don't, they can't pull anything from your food. Yeah. And so that's why a diet has such a big yes. corollary, not just like, you know, eat the healthy things, but here's a reason why eating the unhealthy things might cause yes. good bacteria to die One off. of the reasons, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's, I mean, if you think about fiber, for example, like, you know, it's not digestible by the human body. And for a reason, I think most people just think about fiber as making you poop. But the reason it moves through your system is because you want it to get to, to the place where your microbes can use it. Um, and that's important. Of course, it bulks up stool, which is important, but, but a lot of the fiber, the fiber is basically food for, your, for bacteria. Um, and so it's a, it's a That's fun cool. way to think about it, but you kind of want to, yeah. And you want it to get all the way down. So you got to eat a lot of it. <laughs> My understanding of this bacteria is it's alive and therefore you see probiotics needing mm -hmm. to be refrigerated. But I know that not that your probiotics mm -hmm. don't need to be refrigerated. How mm -hmm. is this possible? I mean, a lot of it has to do, I mean, look, there's, there's the, the answer is that <clears throat> there's a lot of claims about survivability and stability. The ones that are refrigerated, I think we 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 use um, a number of different tests that are actually able for us to be able to not just understand heat um, stability uh, in like, for example, like under like acute heat conditions, which are really important. Actually, we have some of the and because of some of our capsule technology and the way that we um, micro encapsulate and encapsulate our microbes. Um, 
uh, we are able to kind of demonstrate what we believe are some of like the highest uh, heat stability in the in, in the industry, as well as through the body, which is really cool. We work with a company in uh, in Europe that's actually that actually shows us every stage of digestion and, and can um, simulate the human digestive system, and we're able to see all the way through each stage of digestion exactly the viability and survivability of the microbes. Most companies don't do that, <laughs> um, and, and a lot of them don't have the, the technologies that we've developed. Um, not, I mean, some some have like enteric coated capsules, and I think some of those have some pretty good release profiles. So we're certainly not the only only company, but I think one of the things that we're very proud of is the way that we've combined these technologies, and then the testing methodologies to be able to um, demonstrate um, those claims. Which is really, which is again really important to us, and I think what we're starting to understand too is like how how when microbes get released at different stages of digestion, they also um, often don't have the exact impact or have different impact. So, how long, if you were to take zebrobiotics, for mm -hmm. example, how long do you have to wait until they start working, mm -hmm. and how do you know if they're working? Yeah, yeah, it's a great. I mean, look the. This goes and this goes back to that everybody is different in terms of and also the word working is fascinating to me in health. Um, people have many different definitions of it. I mean, the truth is that things like tightening of your like tight junctions in your epithelial letter, like layer of your of your gut, is not something you're likely going to feel. Yeah, no one can measure it. The reason, <laughs> one, yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah, although, yeah, so, well, there's some very invasive sampling, which we, which we could do to be able to measure it. But I think one of the things that's interesting about probiotics, I think one of the reasons, too, that it's such a fast-growing category, I think one of the fastest-growing categories uh, in global health, is because um, of that visceral, immediate experience from a digestive perspective. Now, if somebody's acclimating, which means that they're kind of feeling some discomfort, we here, I mean, because our, we have a very strong product, our first product's very strong, so some people actually like immediately feel something. Not always the best feeling for a couple of days until it kind of like acclimates. As you can imagine, you're introducing a lot of new friends <laughs> into an ecosystem that's already trying to maintain its stasis and they're kind of trying to figure each other out. And so, um, you know, you can experience like a little bit of discomfort. Some people will just say, I am like literally within 24 to 48 hours, I just notice a difference in my digestion. This is, what I'm saying, by the way, is completely anecdotal, um, yeah. because really it does. Some people will say I literally don't didn't feel anything and just immediately felt better. Just within like four or five days to a week, like felt my digestion was like literally different night and day um, than it was before. And some people were like, you know what? I always thought I was just healthy, and I just didn't realize that like my digestion could be better. And then over time, you start to hear things, you know. And this is this just has to do with the strains that we've used, not all probiotics in general, but each, you know, as I said, we, we were very specific about the strains we use and the outcomes. Um, and, you know, from a digestive perspective, mostly it's like, it, what's interesting too, based on the strains that we've, that, that we work with is it, that it has that homeostatic effect with digestion. So if you're, if you're somebody who used to go too much, it can often reduce actually that amount. And it's someone who is not going, it actually increases our regularity. So it kind of has an interesting homeostatic effect, which is not just, oh, it's going to make me poop a lot um, because then people who go to bathroom a lot are like, oh, I don't, can't take probiotics. It will make me go, go more than I already do. Um, and then the, the other things that kind of people say, and again, this is more anecdotal, but it makes sense given kind of what we know about um, some of the immune and gut function uh, claims that we do make 
is that when people say like, oh, wow, I just don't get sick anymore. Like, I just don't get like sick anymore in the way that I used to if I used someone who used to get like a lot of colds or, and, um, and if I do get sick or I start to like not feel great, it doesn't feel like it ever either fully expresses or reaches the intensity it used to and it lasts for less, um, less time. But again, that is, I will just reiterate, that's all anecdotal, but it is something that I think we find with people who've taken um, probiotics for a long time. And then, of course, there's other other benefits that, that again, you just can't, it's hard, hard to say works because a lot of them you don't feel. Um, and unless you were kind of measuring or regulating, regularly checking certain biomarkers, I don't think you would know that they're necessarily working. Um, but people do, of course, say a lot of the time that they just feel generally better, which, I, you know, as you know from Ayurvedic, is a big deal. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I will say this, my, I've done a lot of deep work on health in terms of like a capital H, mm-hmm. meaning not just your physical yes. well-being, but your mind mm-hmm. and the two are connected. I don't believe yes. they're separate. And I will say that I honestly don't care how someone feels better. If it makes them feel better, mm-hmm. if it's a placebo effect, yes. then it works. Yeah, because I mean, look, the, the mind is powerful in our bodies, yep. and they're starting to realize just how powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it particularly Not saying like, yours doesn't work. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I would say like in in I mean like look the spiritual and Eastern world is like the mind is so powerful, but actually there's like even in placebo effect, there's like now they're starting to understand the biochemical and physiological processes that under underpin the placebo effect, um, which could be either an amplification of or a mechanism that that kind of underlies that that kind of power of the mind. I, I do think that I I think that you are absolutely right that um, and and you know just because science says something doesn't mean that it works for somebody also, you know, and vice versa. And um, and I and I think that, you know, it gets a little too re- reductive um, in the way that this conversation happens in the media and maybe on the Instagram. <laughs> but I do agree with you that I think th- there is so much merit to understanding like what actually helps somebody. And I think the hard thing is that what, when people feeling better is a very different definition. Um, and sometimes I think the only danger in what you're saying, I shouldn't say danger, or I should say caution or way that I ever think about this that could um, empower me to think about how that kind of gets amplified out. If if the only negative I could imagine is that there are some things you can do that may feel better in the very short term that you don't really understand the long yes. the long term impact of, um, and that's you know and and and. That's just, I think, you know, as a species, we're very short-sighted. Um, and so that's the only caution. Because, you know, the, there's a lot of pharmaceutical, there's a lot of drugs that probably have a tremendous bad, negative impact on the microbiome that immediately help alleviate symptoms, right? There's people who can't live without 800 milligrams of ibuprofen a day because of chronic pain. And so a lot of it, again, is um, well, what are all the other things you can do if you know that you need to take that, for example, um, and you don't want to stop doing that right. uh, because that makes you feel better. Um, but we know that there's probably other impacts that that's having that you may either have not manifested yet or um, that you're not conscious of um, or that you're not feeling because you're taking 800 milligrams of ibuprofen a day. And so then it becomes about, um, like you're right, like it, because I think it's easy in the spiritual and wellness world because you're really usually talking about things that probably aren't that damaging. But the problem is like when you start extracting that outside of the coastal 
wellnessy uh, space, you realize that people are doing a lot of things that make them feel better. Uh, opioids being one of them. Yeah. That you know what I mean. So it's it, it's a really important to define it because there's a lot of when you when we start having these conversations outside of the bubbles, you realize that what people do to make them feel themselves feel better may have really, really negative long-term effects. Um, uh, and so I think it's, it's you know, so it's, 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 it's a hard copy and paste, if that makes sense. It, it totally yeah. is, and I appreciate that perspective. Something that Seed does that I also appreciate is that you make it an effort, and I, I'm a brand strategist, so I kind of always love to dissect brands, pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, and I make it... I felt like you made an intentional point and a core foundational aspect of your brand to educate the consumer. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose this approach? Um, well, I wouldn't know how to do any other way. So it wasn't like, a, you guys, I know how we'll do it. <laughs> We're going to educate the people. <laughs> it was much more like, well, first of all, I mean, I'm not a scientist and I, I, I you know, I have to wake up every day with a co-founder who who is the science half of this company but you know so much of like our learning and learning how you read you know and, and you kind of know from even more of the eastern modalities like the meet them where they are philosophy right and it's like people I think people want to they, they need a door to walk through and they need someone to wa- extend the hand to walk them through it and I think and for them to be able to then open the door for someone else which I think is a really beautiful idea I don't really know how else you do something like this without being integrous in the education and the and that and how science is communicated. It's I, I also think it's a new that kind of transparency and like um, and also commitment to education I think is like a new currency. You know, I think it's like how else how else would I be okay with someone giving us money <laughs> for something? The answer is no, there's no other way. And it's and really the only re, the only way that people will I, I believe can get better is by being um, empowered with the 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 truths of the things that potentially they can do or not choose not to do um, that don't cost them anything in some cases um, and just comes from knowing you know yeah like going out into nature yeah or eating a diverse choosing, range of if you're choosing between two things you know it's I mean look stress affects our microbiome um, there's we are probably, as we've been sitting here, probably have a hundred new papers maybe published in, over the next 24 hours from around the world um, about, you know, about about this space because we are still really discovering and uncovering. Um, but I think it, it will, many of the things that we're going to find are uh, won't be won't be surprising um, if you if once you as I said at the beginning see the matrix. <laughs> well, I, I want to just talk about maybe the future of sure. Seed yes. or what you're developing because it sounds pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Like you're really working with. I know your advisory board is yes. full of. Yes. Scientists. <laughs> and I read on your website that you're developing a pipeline of consu- well, consumer probiotics and live biotherapeutics to target specific body yes. parts. Mm-hmm. And yeah. is that what you were mentioning in terms yes. of like our oral yeah, biome, exactly. yes, absolutely. And- yeah. So we announced in August um, Luca Biologics, which is our women's health um, partnership with Dr. Jacques Revelle, who actually led the vaginal microbiome division of the Human Microbiome Project, and he's probably the foremost researcher in the world on vaginal microbiome. Um, he, all of his work to date has been funded by Gates Foundation and the, and the NIH, and um, he he truly is the 
probably most respected scientists and one of the most respected scientists in the space. And what we have set out to do with him and, uh, you know, is really starting to understand like how we can harness all this knowledge and, and, and our now understanding of the vaginal microbiome to impact three distinct areas, um, urinary tract infection, bacterial vaginosis, and preterm birth. And so all three of those um, candidates are, are kind of moving forward. Um, our, we're furthest along with UTI, which will go into the clinic probably early next year. And uh, we're, I mean, these are these are areas where you know something like UTI, for example, um, BV, even in preterm birth. I mean, these are all conditions that affect women around the world. Fifty percent of women in, in their lifetime in the world will have a urinary tract infection. Um, many, many, many more of them, and, and increasingly so because of antibiotic resistance, will experience recurrence. And there's no solution. <laughs> yeah, can we talk about that? And I'm, I might get TMI sure. here, but my podcast listeners, I get into it. Um, I had my first UTI in May. Mm-hmm. I never had one before. Yep. And since then, I have been getting what mm-hmm. I believe recurrent ones. Yes. And there's a part of me, in again, I use my approach of Ayurveda to kind of like think about it logically. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that's like, listen... I, I think the antibiotics were important mm-hmm. at the time, but... It, what did you take, Cipro? What did you take? Well, I eventually did, uh-huh. which was not the antibiotic yes. for me. Uh-huh. It caused me all this tendon pain and whatever. Yes. I'm not never taking that yes. again. But I feel like it took this mm-hmm. mucusy like mm-hmm. environment where good bacteria thrived. Mm-hmm. It scraped that out. Mm-hmm. Yes, it killed the bacteria, but in doing so... All of it. Yeah, it created <laughs> yeah. a space where mm-hmm. it's so much now easier for that bad bacteria that maybe just comes in, but then is like balanced by the good bacteria to come in, and then there's no good bacteria, and then so it creates this like vicious mm-hmm. cycle, I believe, of like women then needing to go on antibiotics again, and then it, it's like yes. you know it creates a vicious cycle yes. of it. So actually, I have not taken an antibiotic since. I'm also very against antibiotics, mm-hmm. but. Um, Yes, I have to caveat. It can save your life, Trust and me. I just me in certain moments. And I certain, understand, yes. <laughs> but for me personally, mm-hmm. I just the risks for some things outweigh the benefits. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing um, herbs that actually have worked for me. And mm-hmm. again, I'm not here to tell well, anyone look, what to do. Herbs are antibiotics. Yeah, and um, but yeah, I just want you to speak to that because I felt like for me, I've never had an issue in my life, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden now I'm in this kind of like vicious cycle where I believe it's just an issue of like an unbalanced system mm-hmm. and not something that I believe I have to deal with the rest of my life. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> or at well, least I hope I don't. Look, I mean, any any of these conditions in the in the vaginal microbiome are what they call like dis, from dysbiosis. So you're right, like kind of that that kind of out, out of balance where there's a couple of strains of bacteria, depending on what community state type you are, that are known to be like the dominant strains. And that's kind of like how you know that your vaginal microbiome is kind of in quote-unquote stasis, and they're supposed to be producing specific amount of lactic acid, and that's what can maintain the pH of the, the um, vagina, which is kind of what then does allow allows or doesn't allow E. coli, for example, with UTIs to persist. So it's, it's interesting that fluoroquinolones, which is the um, class of antibiotic that um, is used for UTIs, FDA this past year put out two press releases um, actively advising for the non-subscription <laughs> prescription of them because of the side effects. Um, and actually other other ones too, like nervous system stuff, it's pretty pretty serious. And so um, with the FDA saying that, that 
um, you shouldn't be taking them. With antibiotic resistance going from three to 17% in the last decade, oh, in the last, yeah, literally in the last only 10 years, wow. which is, Huge. you know, over five times, um, there's literally no treatment. And so, um, and so that that's an area where again, like a microbe, like in our in our case, will be administered um, that uh, that will, I guess, the best way to say it is restore or stabilize the vaginal microbiome to basically not make it hospitable <laughs> uh, for E. coli. But one thing to, uh, in your journey, did you ever try Demanos? That's what I yeah, take. That's yeah. what I take. Yeah. When I have my uh, when I have a feeling of recurrence, yeah. and it works. It's me. it's interesting. One. Again, kind of anecdotal. I, I don't know if there's a study that um, goes through the long term, but I do know a lot of women who have experienced like multiple recurrences and post antibiotics have had a lot of success. Um, just kind of not not just taking it when you feel it, but actually for a really long period of time, just kind of like taking it for consistently, um, and have really seen that like that little like oh I think it's coming feeling kind of go away entirely. Yeah, yeah. I believe it's just, I mean, it's just my sugar. body yes. will. Yeah. rebalance itself mm-hmm. but I think that will be inspiring for a lot of women who feel yeah it's a dead end road and also it, it just is a vicious yep. cycle that I mean going. just look just demanos alone can be life changing for women and I think there's a lot of women that don't have never even heard of it which is incredible yeah so we're gonna try and I'll yes. link to the products yes. that I take yeah. it's called UT Vibrance yes yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah it makes yeah, me feel those. powerful yes. in that yeah. <laughs> um, just a couple more last questions yeah. Are there any misconceptions about the microbiome or probiotics that you mentioned a bunch, Mm -hmm. but any other ones that you'd like to dispel? Because I really want to, basically on this podcast, (laughs) it's similar to, I think your approach with seed is like, it, I want it to be accessible and practical Mm -hmm. for everyone, regardless. I don't like the wellness industry of it being for someone of privilege Mm -hmm. or someone who has enough money and this and that, there's so many things we can do that are free or just lifestyle changes. So, yeah, of course. I mean, well, I can, do you want actionability or I can tell you myth? Maybe both myths first and then maybe things (laughs) we can do when people feel like, Oh no. (laughs) Um, well, I think the first, I mean, I think one of the first things is like, I mean, look bacteria, like I think you start from like the most reductive place, which is, I mean, people still think bacteria is bad. <laughs> so, if you're depending on where you where you are, probably your your audience is probably like kind of over that hump. But a lot of the world is not, and a lot of that world, the world is still um, bleaching their their homes and um, using you know all kinds of antimicrobials uh, all, all over their body, including particularly like their skin, um, which is like kind of a whole probably a whole other episode when we're ready to talk about our skin work. Um, and so I would say in general, like understanding that majority, 99% of bacteria, if not a little bit more, um, are good. Um, or, or what they call, I mean, just, just, you know, either kind of neutral or good. Um, but really like very few are pathogenic. Obviously the ones that are pathogenic are pretty bad. Um, but I think kind of first getting over that hump, I think the second is like, as I mentioned, kind of aligning on what the definition of a probiotic actually is. Um, it doesn't mean that your kombucha or your fermented food is not delicious. It just means it doesn't necessarily have any probiotic effect in the body. So I think getting oh, over it doesn't. the, I mean, none of those strains have been, I mean, those strains are incredible at fermentation. Um, they, there's probably some nutritional benefits from the lactic acid production. Obviously, many of them, if you're taking, if you're eating kimchi, for example, you know they're they're very deep, like fibrous foods that have been partially digested. So it feels great from a digestive perspective because it kind of moves right through. Um, so I don't want to make it seem like there's no. Although in a lot of commercial, I would say a lot of commercial kombuchas, um, I think it 
people underestimate the sugar content. Um, but for the most part, I mean, they're not they're not probiotics. And in fact, there's a couple of um, researchers at Harvard that sequenced, I think, all the kombuchas and kimchis um, oh, cool. at, uh, <laughs> I think, at Whole Foods. And um, I think maybe out of three, 400 strains and like one of the kimchis, there was like one that may have probiotic impact, but you would have no way of knowing if it's even in the right dose, for example. So I think the idea that everything that says probiotic is not, I would probably throw out. Um, I would look for strain-specific human clinical studies that have demonstrated an impact in the human body across the heterogeneous population in the right dose. Um, as I said, it doesn't mean that those things aren't nutritious or possibly have other benefits, but it's not probiotic um, impact, which I think is important and, and I say, you know, it's less important today just because, like, we haven't yet experienced the tidal wave that we're about to experience in skin care and oral care and other aspects of our self-care and vaginal health and, like, our children's health. And, like, that, that wave is kind of coming. I mean, infant formula, infant formula is going to fundamentally change. I mean, th- these big categories of, like, every window of our life, the way we understand menopause, I mean, every, particularly as women... So and, and then that's before you start looking into the environment and realizing that microbes will probably solve the plastic problem and a number of other area, other things that are big deals. Um, but that, I think the big one is that you know if you don't align on your language, like you said at the beginning of of the of the um, recording, that means that like how these things are perceived when they're very serious solutions for things will be diminished and diluted. Um, and I think that that's the reason that we care so much. It's not like just a marketing thing. We're just like oh we want to make probiotic science again. It's like Truthfully, if, if that's going to become the intervention to solve preterm birth in the third world, you can imagine that if every tortilla chip has probiotic on it, it's not taken as seriously. And whether we like it or not, the public perception of these things shapes how things get funded and how we perceive them. I mean, you can look at GMOs, and you can see that we fundamentally don't understand them. But the minute we put non-GMO stickers on everything, we've decided that GMOs are bad, and therefore the word itself is now totally impossible for anyone to now hear or listen to um, how they may solve some really big problems in our future, particularly with lack of food supply. And so, and, and in other areas where, you, you know, we have malnutrition or where rice may need an increase of vitamin A, for example. I mean, just, you know, it's, we're, we're very myopic that way. And we like to immediately otherize something and then totally decide that it's bad. And I think that doesn't serve us. So in that, in that way, we care a lot about the term itself. So that's, as I said, eat your kombucha and or drink your kombucha, but it doesn't mean that it's a probiotic. Um, I lo- yeah, and then what are a few things that we can do that maybe in a radical way mm-hmm. don't require us to buy seed? Oh yeah, I, I I can give you lots of things that don't require. I'm a really bad salesperson, <laughs> salesperson, um, because I I'd, I'd rather someone shift their perspective and change kind of as I said, kind of see that matrix than um, you know make it about us. I do, despite the fact that I do think that microbes and probiotics are kind of going to be in the future, like that next lever of health, and and I think we'll start to see that revealed more and more um, as oral health and skin kind of changes our our perception. But the things you could do actionably is, um, if you you didn't get so far, eat more plants. Um, Really think about fiber. Really think about dense polyphenols. Um, You can think about everything from green tea to pomegranate to dark berries that don't have... um, hopefully lower sugar counts um this you know even the way you think about when you cut your broccoli like eat the stock (laughs) you know like these really dense parts of this like densely fibrous parts of these cruciferous vegetables so i think it's like really looking at um at plants and understanding how they serve that ecosystem within is pretty important 
we're starting to even understand now how like the difference between like raw and cooked cooked vegetables impacts your microbiome, which is fascinating. What is the difference? There was um, actually there's a study that came out last it was last week that actually like whether or not something was actually with meat it didn't matter which i thought was really interesting but with um vegetables it was like the way that your like parts of your gi tract could access certain starches actually like changed based on the how the um the chemistry of the food changed with with eating which i thought was like super interesting better or um, like more bioavailable yeah if well cooked? uh de- depends it was it was you know, the truth is that I literally have, um, I have the study, I, I haven't finished reading uh, the, I read like the press about it, but I don't, I don't want to trust what I interpreted from that. So I can get back to you on it, but I'm, I haven't read, I have to read the full, full study this week. Um, but it's real. I can send it to you too. Yeah. I would love that because yeah. in Ayurveda yes. cooked foods, they believe are a lot easier to digest. Yes. So yes. it's like, if you put something in that you can't use, it's like really expensive Yes, you know it's, it's no, it's expensive calories. Really yeah, expensive yeah, things. of course. Yeah, so, um, I don't think it was as reductive as that um, from what I started to read, but I, I need to get into the yeah, whole, the whole, the whole, um, the whole study. And then um, having a dog <laughs> increases your microbial diversity. Um, I would say kind of some of the things we talked about, which is just being really mindful of when you choose NSAIDs or antibiotics. Alcohol is not a friend of your microbiome refined sugar preservatives chemicals like a lot of the things we find in our, su- our food supply now that can have an impact by the way same same thing in skincare which we're going to start to understand like what what all these like things in our skincare are doing to that you know ecosystem of of, of the surface um being in nature is as uh not just saying that because it's on brand for the podcast but um it's a big one is to increase your microbial diversity. Um, I think we, we even, there's a really interesting, uh, we posted two things this past summer, one about how swimming in the ocean changes your skin microbiome, and uh, the other is like how swimming in pools adjusts your microbiome, <laughs> which, which is one? really fascinating. Well, one, one I mean, clearly. The swimming yeah. I wouldn't say, sw- I, no, it, it, well, these days I don't think the ocean was necessarily the, like, it's better for you, but just knowing that these different environments, and, and those things return to stasis pretty quickly, but um, just understanding how, these these environments you immerse yourself in um, impact your microbes. Um, I would say for women, is um, thinking being thoughtful about sex. It's it's a big perturbation for your vaginal microbiome, so it's just another reason to choose wisely, which uh, which I think is interesting because I think most people don't think about like I mean you think about it from the the perception of like whether or not you're going to communicate you know. Um, get an STI or an STD, but it actually, like, has an, an interesting effect on, like, your susceptibility to other, you know, to, to at these moments during the during the month not to stimulate a demonstration. So it's just kind of thinking about, like, sex from, like, a more physiological, biological perspective. So, like, perspective. when to have sex or who to have sex with? More just, like, if you're going to and you know yeah. that you're going to disrupt your vaginal microbiome and you're going to go into dysbiosis, just be mindful and yeah. saying, you know, being like, I'd go into dysbiosis for you. That's nice. That can be a new dating. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, a totally different kind of Tinder, yes. <laughs> um, and knowing that, like, because knowing that post-sex, you're just more susceptible um, to, to infection. Um, uh, and so I think that's just an interesting kind of mindset shift. It's not necessarily something to do, but... Yeah, something I mean, to think about. Maybe alcohol and sex yes. aren't the best. Yes, maybe it's not the best for it's your not book. setting no. up your microbiome. No, for not for success. Yeah, exactly. So those are some of the big things. Green tea, walnuts. There's some. There's been some interesting studies in the last year about like very specific foods in your microbiome. But and those are helpful for mm-hmm. our microbiomes. Mm-hmm. So all the matcha that I drink will be yes, less. as long as it's not 
with a million other things, which is unfortunately like if you go to start, you're yeah, not no, getting totally. It, but, I'm, you know. I'm getting the powder yes. and making it. Yeah. I love your definition of science, mm-hmm. where you said a methodology or seed seeds definition of science, a methodology to know ourselves and our world. Actually, it was yours. Mm. Now that I, okay, it was your definition of science in an interview you did. <clears throat> seed and me aren't that different. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a methodology to know ourselves and our world and to uncover what requires more knowing. Mm. It struck me as a definition that sounded like... I said that. That's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. It sounded like the way someone might describe religion or spirituality Mm. in a sense. And this podcast is all about understanding nature to help us understand ourselves. Describe how understanding science has helped you better understand yourself. The scientific method, I always say, is like, and, and there's actually, I'm certainly not the first person to say this, <clears throat> although I thought, I thought I was pretty clever the first time I said it, and then I Googled it and realized I was by far not the first person to come up with this. Um, the scientific method is so Buddhist to me, like in, in the sense of non-attachment, which is that it's, it's this a whole framework to have an idea to experiment with no attachment to the outcome, to observe it, and then to, iter- to learn, to synthesize, and then iterate and experiment again. And in some ways, I mean, I think it's kind of how life is, but I think that that kind of non-attachment, and, and look, I'm not naive, like obviously, like there, there are so many factors that, that um, certainly dilute its purity at times, but as a, a principle and as a, as, a, as a way of thinking, as a way of trying to understand, um, I think it's really, and I think it's just a really beautiful me- methodology. And I think in some ways different than like religion where I think there is an organized set of ideas that aren't um, necessarily meant to be tested. I think it's actually in some ways, it's kind of like, it's just the underlying scaffolding through which you build your building, which I think is a little bit different than telling you a building to go into. Um, I, so I, I do see some some differences, but sure, any I think any or, organized framework or, or principle certainly harkens any kind of organized religion, but I think dissimilar to a lot of religions, um, particularly modern ones, I would say, um, the non-attachment piece is quite different. Uh, and I think that that you know, the, the, what the world needs now is a lot more non-attachment. <laughs> in my, more my opinion, finding the path that feels. I think. You're, I mean, I think in a lot of ways. I think no. I mean, I think. I mean, in some. In yes, if if, if path is what <laughs> is what you need, I think again, it's the, the languages. I, I get really, I get really nervous about some of the language and spirituality because um, I, it often feels and sounds hypocritical. There's a whole lot of hypocrisy. Um, in those beautiful, beautiful Instagram quotes um, that are that really resonate that really, of course, that resonate with me on some level. But I think in the in the in the in the in the practice of practicing and uh, trying to get to some level of non-attachment with a lot of things in my life, and I think in 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 work and in the way companies operate, and I think in trying to undo a lot of the things that got us here, I get very nervous about the ascription of like the way that you have to do something. And I think in some ways, like even when you say path, you say all the, like I get so like when people say the word career to me and like I just, it makes my skin crawl for no other reason than like to your point earlier, like if it makes you feel good, go with it. 
I just get nervous because it means what, what people do in the world where there's a path is that when you don't have one, you suffer. Yes. And so I just, I get, does that make sense? So yes, like, it makes, it's like, oh, it then you must need one. Sense. And, well, and that's, we don't need that's well, kind of what maybe we, we don't. <laughs> and that's, that's also the philosophy. Yes. But the philosophy of our nature is this idea of like, we're not here telling you what you should and shouldn't yes. do. We're offering information. Yes. And you decide. Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. No, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't mean to pick that apart. I just meant like in the, in trying to articulate I, what I, I mean it. about the, yeah. um, about that. And so, yeah, I love, I mean, my, I really, and, and I think that the coolest thing about science is like, there's just, it's, it, it really just never ends. Like there isn't like a knowing um, and in some way, like enlight- it's kind of like enlightenment engenders suffering, right? Because then you, there's still something to reach. Whereas at least in science, there's just a, a process to keep going and keep going and keep going, which I think is like, um, it, it frees you from the, like, the end. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It does. My last five questions are rapid fire. Okay. And it's whatever comes up for you first is your truth. <laughs> What is your favorite place in nature? It's a good question. Really, anywhere, anywhere where I am surrounded and can't see the built environment. What is the animal, mineral, or plant that resonates with you the most? I don't. I could never pick a favorite in nature. <laughs> I like the. We'd be sitting here for hours if I tried. What is one thing we can do right now to connect with the natural world and bring more harmony into our lives? Be in it. What is the greatest lesson nature has taught you? That we are of it. Complete this sentence. Nature brings me... You're welcome. Thank you. That's a, those are hard, hard questions. I learned everything. <laughs> I learned so much. I thought I knew a lot. And I learned so much. Oh, please. I learned a lot too. I hope you enjoyed that episode all about our incredible bacteria within with our cats of seed. If you're still here, thank you. You've made it to the end. And I'm so happy to share that you can use the code OurNature at seed.com for 20% off the first month of your daily symbiotic subscription. That's it for me. Stay curious and I will see you in two weeks with the final episode of season one. You just listened to an episode of the Our Nature podcast. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review it. Thank you so much for listening. Stay curious, and I'll see you next week.